said in our first lesson that faith is not blind. Kind of talked about how little I appreciate that phrase, blind faith. You know what is blind, though? Love. Love is blind in a lot of ways. You think about being married. I think about being married. And, you know, even in those first few weeks and months of, of knowing my wonderful wife, I mean, loving her, being Twitter-pated over her, I mean, there was just so much that I could overlook, I could ignore. I, I can vividly remember one of the first moments that Sherilyn and I were hanging out, and she was walking across the, the kitchen in her socks, and just feet go right up in the air and falls flat down on the ground. Just an embarrassing moment for her, and I just thought it was the sweetest thing. <laughs> you know, there's so many times where, you know, you, you find yourself in a scenario where you just, you're dirty, you're sweaty, you're stinky, you're ugly, you, you, you don't feel presentable to the world, but the one that you love, the person who you care so much about, they, they don't even care. They don't think about it at all. They don't mind it. They overlook it. They look right past it because love is blind. Love overlooks a lot of things, which is why I think Paul speaks about love in such a, such a forgiving and overlooking kind of way in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is blind in a lot of ways, but you know what happens, though, with ourselves? When we look at ourselves... No matter how much we love ourselves, no matter how much we look at ourselves and appreciate ourselves and have an have a important self-worth, when we look in that mirror, in the magnifying side of the mirror, real close, when our pores look like dinner plates and we get real close, I mean, we see it all, don't we? Don't you see it all? You just see every little spot, you see every little wrinkle, you see every little issue, every little fault, you see it. Even if other people may not see it, you see it, you know it. And I think sometimes when we, when we think about guilt, we think about our sins, we have a tendency to highlight and magnify those things in our minds, those issues that we have, those problems that we have in getting over this issue or that issue, this attitude or that attitude, we, we see those things. If we look thoughtfully into our hearts, into our lives, it's hard for us to ignore them. It's hard for us to forget them. And that's why I think it's hard for us to, to think about the idea of blamelessness. Throughout God's word, we find this idea of blamelessness being talked about. How God can look down at us in his love, in his care, and he can overlook our sins. He can overlook our guilt. We, on the other hand, we see it clearly. We can't forget it. It's hard for us to, it's hard for us to envision a God who can view us and not see all of those issues, all those things in our lives that we see so clearly. God calls us, though, to be blameless. He calls us to be holy and to allow that holiness and that blamelessness to be seen in this world, to be visible and on display, as Jesus would talk about that city that's set on a hill, a light that influences the dark world around us. We need to be that way in the world, 
blameless, walking blamelessly. Sometimes I think when we think about being blameless, we put a lot of st- asterisks and caveats. We, we, we look at our sins. We think about our sins, and we, we just can't forget them. But wh- I want to talk about guilt, and I want to talk about allowing God's holiness to be seen in us and how we really should strive for a life of blamelessness before God because God wants us to be blameless. Not that he wants us to be perfect and guilt-free, but we'll talk about that in a minute. This is not a new thing, though. The Bible word for blameless in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is blameless, without blemish, and really just has this whole aspect of above reproach or perfect. You know, it's this idea in translating in the Old Testament that it's without defect, unblemished, that which is ethically sound and upright. When the Bible talks about being blameless, it's setting a high standard. It's setting a a, a standard about, for example, the way that you bring a lamb, the way that you choose a lamb to offer as a sacrifice. We all understand that God had a standard for how he wanted his sacrifices to be made and and selected. You couldn't find a, a lamb that had three legs and one eye and give it to the Lord as a sacrifice and feel like you were doing a good thing. Now, if that was the only lamb you had and that was all you could, you could afford, okay, maybe. But if you had a selection of lambs to choose from and you picked the spotted one, the blemished one, the one that had the defect, God wasn't going to be happy with that. But not only did he want his sacrifices to be spotless, he wanted his people, more importantly, to be blameless and blemish-free. In the New Testament, the word is often translated as guiltless, above reproach, or blameless. As we talk about selecting men to lead congregations, one of the qualities, characteristics that elders are supposed to have is to be above reproach. That's the same word for being blameless. Now, lest you think that the the only people who are to be blameless and above reproach are the men that we select to lead us in the congregation, you would be wrong because we're all called to be blameless. We're all called to be above reproach. And what does that mean? Well, maybe it's helpful to look at a few examples before we, before we get in too far here. We should probably look at the example of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. He was one of the first people, really the first people, who was said to be blameless. And we understand that about Noah's character. We knew that Noah, among all the, the sin and rampant wickedness in the world, Noah was blameless. Noah was above reproach. He was somebody that was spotless in this dark world as God would look around at all the evil thoughts continually that were going on in the world. Noah stood out as a blameless man. As God would turn to Abraham, and his his name was actually Abram at the time, but in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, he said, I am the Lord, you are to be blameless before me. So God was giving the instruction to Abraham, you are to, to aspire to this blameless kind of life, to be blameless, to be perfect, to be above reproach. And we're going we're gonna to deal with the caveats and asterisks. I know you're thinking about them. We'll get there. Don't worry. But David was also someone who was called to be blameless or was said to be blameless. David even said of himself that I, I am blameless before God. We'll consider another passage here besides 2 Samuel 22 verse 24 later on from the Psalms. But David was blameless before God. 
And, and we can see that he was a man after God's own heart. You're probably thinking of the caveats and asterisks right now about David's blamelessness. We'll get there, don't worry. But God says that he's a blameless man. And that's important. We need to understand that, that David was blameless. You get to the New Testament, you start looking at examples like Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents. And we think about them as being blameless people. They were, they were exceptional people. They were blameless before God. They did all kinds of good and important things. They were, they were really, you know, one of, the, one of the great examples, besides Mary and Joseph, of two parents who really were starting something amazing with the church in their involvement with John the Baptist and then their involvement with Jesus. They were said to be blameless there in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. And then we get to Paul, and I love Paul. In his example there in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is basically explaining, you know, you remember this verse as he's going through the list of all the amazing things that he's done and, you know, how he holds up really the, the track record or his resume, so to speak, there in Philippians chapter 3. And really, he's got a lot of positive things to say about himself. But as one of the things that he says there in verse 6, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now again, I know as we're thinking about Paul, we're thinking about all of these people, really. Were they perfect? Did they have no sin? Did they have no guilt at all? Was Paul actually saying, I kept the law perfectly? Well, if you read Romans for like five minutes, you'll just totally blow that idea out of the water because Paul basically says nobody could keep the old law perfectly, right? Nobody could follow the old law perfectly. That, that was impossible with the exception of Jesus Christ himself, of course. So Paul was certainly here not saying that I kept the old law perfectly, but what he was saying was I was blameless. I was, I was blemish free. I was above reproach. So if all of these people could say that they were blameless, what does that really mean? Actually, let's start by saying what it does not mean, and we'll, we'll think about that in a second. But the big idea here in this lesson is that we are not perfect. Shocker. Is it, I know a lot of us, again, just because we don't roll up to the front every Sunday and, and confess all the bad things that we've done and talk to everybody about all the, the trouble we've had, does not mean that we don't look in the mirror of introspection at our own life and see our sin as clear as day, right? We all do. Every one of us. We're not perfect. But even though we're not perfect, God calls us to live a life where people can't rightly accuse us of wrongdoing. We don't go about in our lives, as John in 1 John chapter 3 talks about, we don't go about in our lives making a practice of sin. And that is, I think, an important distinction. We know we have guilt. We know we have sinned. We know we've fallen short of God's glory. But as John says there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He's talking there about a, a lifestyle of sin. We don't, we don't practice sin. Are we guilty of sin? 100%. We're guilty of sin. 
Do we practice sin? No, we do not. And we need to live in such a way that people can't rightly point at us and say, there is a good example of somebody who is a sinner. That's the kind of blameless life, above reproach, perfect life that we're talking about here. Not perfect in the sense of sinless, perfect in the sense of being able to stand like you're on trial and say, not guilty, and having that be a true statement. Letting people see you, letting people see your life in a way that they have nothing to accuse you of. So let's, let's get to some of these asterisks and caveats for, for a second here. So what blamelessness is not is self-righteousness. Blamelessness is not self-righteousness. We were talking about David. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 18 is a great example, I think, to help us understand about blamelessness because David here really opens himself up by explaining his blamelessness and talking about how blameless, blameless he is, but he's not arrogantly and pompously standing up and saying, I am amazing or I am anything special. Because we get to verses here like Psalm 18, verse 20, where he says, The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. If you stop right there, can you hear, can you hear the Pharisees of Jesus' day saying something that sounded like that? Can't you just hear the Pharisees saying, I am righteous. God is dealing with me according to my righteousness and of the cleanness of my hands. Literally, they took that very seriously, very, very literally. They, they cleaned their hands of all of the dirty Gentile germs that were out there. You could hear them saying that, but that's not, Paul's or that's not David's motivation here. David is not trying to say, I am so amazing, because here's what he goes on to say in verse 22. For all his rules were before me. And his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So he kind of bookends this statement in the middle with this phrase, he's rewarded me according to my righteousness. But the statement in the middle is super important in verse 22. All his rules were before me. All his statutes I did not put away from me. What David is saying there is, I'm not following my own definition of righteousness. I'm not making it up as I go. I'm following God. I'm listening to his rules. I'm doing what he says. He lights my path. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 28. He says, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall this God, his way is perfect. His way is perfect. The Lord, the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Does it sound like David is self-righteous now? Does it sound like David is holding himself up in his pompous arrogance now? As he basically says, it's not about me. I'm just doing what God says. I'm doing what the Lord God has given me to do. So David could say he was blameless and not be self-righteous, because he was just following what God had told him to do. Psalm 101, verse 2, he would talk about how the, the blameless way of the Lord is always before him. He's always thinking about the blameless way of God. 
But what blamelessness is also not, and this is the biggie, is perfectionism. Blamelessness is not about perfection. You could see that definitely in, in Paul as he would talk about himself there in Philippians and how he was blamelessly keeping the law. Was he perfectly keeping the law? Absolutely not. Blamelessness is not about perfection, as we've been studying about in our Bible classes from the example of Job. Job, you will remember, was a blameless man and upright, a man who feared God and turned away from evil. How many times does it say that in the book of Job before it sinks in that Job was blameless? Was Job perfect, though? Was Job perfect? Did Job do everything right, never sin, never had any problems at all? No, because in Job chapter 7, Job says in verse 20, If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? You have made me, why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? He would go on to say a few times actually in the book of Job that I have sinned. I have sin, I have transgression, I have iniquity. Please, God, show me mercy and take those things away from me. Job admits that he's not perfect, though it's described of him as being blameless and upright, a man who fears God and turns away from evil. And so I think we square blamelessness with this idea of not being self-righteous and not being perfect in any way. I think we square that by thinking about 1 John chapter 3 as we turn away from evil, as we're not practicing sin, as we don't make sin a lifestyle. Sin is not something that we just do all of the time. Yes, you might sin. Yes, you will sin. But do you practice sin? Because a blameless person does not do those things. So blamelessness is not self-righteousness. It's not us arrogantly and pompously standing up and defining what's good and right. Blamelessness is also not being perfect. So with those asterisks and caveats out of the way, hopefully we can continue the discussion, because blamelessness is first and foremost Christ's work. Blamelessness is what Christ does. Christ makes us blameless. And I'm going to say this a few times throughout this point, but I want us to, I want us to really understand this. Blamelessness is Christ's work. Let's, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 to see Paul's explanation of these, this idea here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is Paul talking here to the church at Thessalonica when he says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice what he says there. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. That he may establish your hearts blameless. Now, we don't use that word or that phrasing a lot, we, that he may establish. You could really think of it as saying, he makes you blameless. Christ makes us blameless. And that's an important point. Because, like we were talking about, about marriage and about somebody that you love, it's not that I have no wrinkles. It's not that I have no spots. It's not that I have no blemishes. I've got a ton of them. But Christ wipes those things clean. 
Christ takes care of the, that guilt and those spots and those blemishes. Christ makes us clean. Are you thinking about Ephesians chapter 5 yet? Because I'm thinking about Ephesians chapter 5 as I think about how Christ makes us clean. How as this husband and wife parallel that Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy without blemish. It's not the wife, it's not the wife who makes herself pretty and spotless and, and, and blemish-free. It's the husband who does that in this analogy here, in this comparison here. It's the husband who makes the wife and cleans her up and brings her back to himself here in Ephesians chapter 5. It's Christ who does the work of making us blameless. And that's important because, again, it's not your work. It's not about you. You can't clean yourself up. I can't clean myself up, self up enough to be perfect in God's eyes. I can't because I'm, I'm guilty. My hands are dirty. I'm unclean. But he, as the husband, loves me enough to clean me up and present me to himself. He loves you enough to clean you up and present you to himself as a husband who loves you. Is love blind? God is, over, God is willing to overlook so many of your transgressions, so many of your sins, because he loves you. Because he cares about you. And he can make you blameless before him. It's him and him alone who makes you blameless before him. Without him, without him as part of that equation, we, we could not do enough to be clean before him. You're getting this idea that blamelessness is really not about us. It's not a self-righteous act that we do. It's not some amazing work of perfection that, that we all accomplish. No, it's Christ's work. First and foremost, we need to understand that. But then, we also need to understand it's our work. Blamelessness is also our work. And we see that in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, as Paul would continue to talk about our work, the things that we do. Let's read this together. And I think it's interesting that this hits on so many of those points that we just got done talking about. In verse 21, this is our work. He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now stop right there. Doesn't that sound exactly like what we were just talking about? You were alienated. You were hostile. You were doing deeds that were evil in their very nature. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We are guilty. We look at our mirror. We see our sins so clearly. We know exactly what we've done. Not one of us in this room is so clean and so fancy and so perfect that, that you can stand before God as not being an alien and hostile before him. We were all that way. So if you've just come to the realization that you're guilty and you're feeling guilty about being guilty, you're in good company because all of us have been there. That's where we all came from. 
So he goes on there, though, to say in verse 23, if, and that's an important word, little short word, but if is a very important word in this context. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. If you continue in the faith. So yes, God is capable of cleaning us up, of making us blameless, as he talks about, presenting us holy and blameless, above reproach before him. God is, is capable of doing that. Christ is capable of doing that. If, if you continue in the faith. So do you have any part in being blameless? You absolutely do. You absolutely play a part in being blameless. In order for God to present you to himself, in order for Christ to take you, clean you up, and bring you back, you have to keep the faith. You have to be stable and steadfast and countable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard. Your faith needs to be solid. And you need to be immovable. That's your part. That's your part. And if you think about this, and, and as we started off this lesson in this relationship that we were kind of exploring together, you know, if you love your wife and your wife loves you, you're willing to overlook so much about what's going on. You know, I, I'm willing to overlook the fact that Sherilyn is incapable of putting the toothpaste lid back on in a, in a secure fashion, right? I mean, I, I just don't even think about that except for the fact that I'm mentioning it during the lesson. You... You just look, overlook so many things because you're in love with somebody and you care about somebody. But have you ever looked to somebody who, who cuts you off on the freeway? Or you look to somebody who just doesn't appreciate you or says something mean or evil to you? Oh, you can find all kinds of things to complain about about them, can't you? Because you don't love them the way that you love somebody who's close to you. You can, you can find all kinds of things to, to gripe and complain about somebody who doesn't treat you well. But it's, it's so much easier to, to overlook those things when you love somebody and you care about them and you have a connection with them. And can you see why it's any wonder why God continually talks about this as a husband and wife relationship, as a loving relationship? And the, the reason why we stay steadfast, we stay immovable, we stay in the relationship is because when we're outside of the relationship, there's a disconnection there. We've disconnected ourselves from the one who's capable of making us clean. We no longer are part of the family. We're no longer part of that loving relationship. We're out of the relationship. We've left the relationship. And we've defined and declared ourselves just fine without, without the Lord's cleaning up that needs to be done of us. And that's a problem. But it is our work. We do the work. We, we have a part in this. We play a role in this. And don't, as part of this point, don't forget the first point, right? And don't forget the asterisks and caveats that we already dealt with earlier. It's, it's not about you being self-righteous and arrogant. It's not about you being perfect. Yes, it is about Christ's work, but you do have a part in it. And I know we are talking here about being blameless, but this really is about faith and works and all kinds of other, you know, grace and faith and how the role that we play versus the role that what God plays, it's so delicately intertwined, right? God can clean us up. He can make us whole, but we have to do something too. We don't do everything. 
We don't do it all, but we do our part to stay in that relationship, to stay in that loving relationship with our God. And so what we understand as part of this is being blameless is so important. It's so important to be seen as blameless in this world. But you know that no matter how visible you are as a blameless person, that blameless lifestyle, that that influence that you have can easily be dimmed. It can easily, so easily be turned down. And there's a great danger in us turning down our influence in the world. Of course, you go back and you think about the fact that we're a city set on a hill. And in in similar language here, we see Paul in Philippians chapter 2 explaining to us how important our influence is in this world, our blameless influence. Let's actually back up here in, in the context of verse 12, because here he's talking about us being lights in the world. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just stop right there for a second. I love how this verse kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to get at in this lesson. How It's God who works for his good pleasure. But you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So God does his part. You do your part. Now let's continue. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. What is Paul talking about there? And your light's on, on, on a hill. You're, you're visible to everyone. But what does it take to turn that light off, to dim that light, to extinguish your influence on the world? Grumbling and disputing. That's it. That's it. You know, Paul likes to give lots of big, long, lengthy lists sometimes and make real long-winded, sort of tangential points that kind of t- weave their way through the conversation. You have a hard time following what he's trying to, trying to say. Could he say it any clearer? Could he say this any clearer? Could he make this point any clearer? Stop grumbling and stop disputing. Because every time you do, you're not blameless anymore. Every time you fuss and you fight, now people have a reason to blame you. Now people have a reason to point at you and say, you're not a follower of God. You're full of sin. I can see it in how much you fuss and how much you fight. It's why Jesus talks so much about unity and how his people should love each other. And as John would talk about, people are going to see our unity and our love for each other and they're going to know that we are followers of Jesus because of how much we love each other and how united we are, and how different that is in the world, because everybody in the world likes to complain, don't they? You like to complain? You like to fuss and fight? I know we've all been there. Now we're getting into the brass tacks, where we're all thinking about that time we were guilty for fussing and fighting, right? We're looking in the mirror deeply at ourselves and saying, I've been guilty of that. I've done that. Aren't we all just thinking about the times where we ourselves personally, not the guy next to us, not the lady who's sitting across the pew from us, but ourselves. 
aren't we all thinking about how we are guilty of grumbling and disputing from time to time? Yeah, we've all done it. And we need to make sure that every time we do, we remember we're no longer blameless. The reason why we are blameless in this world and innocent without blemish and without spot in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, the reason why we shine as lights in the world is because we have a different outlook. We have a different response. I don't care what's going on in politics in this world. I care about Jesus, and I care about saving people through his death. I don't care about the wars that are going on and all the other things that are going on. I care about saving people's souls in eternity. And yes, I care enough to make a difference, and I care enough to do my part, and I care enough to try to, try to convince people to do their part. But what is most important is not fussing and fighting and grumbling and complaining and disputing and getting all hot and bothered about things. The thing that is most important is standing out as lights in the world so that we can save people. Amen? That's our job. That's what we do. And this is a lesson about being blameless, but it's a lesson about standing out and being unique and different. Not being just another spot or wrinkle out there, but being clean and pure and letting Jesus wash us and clean us and present us out in the world in a way that people see us and they see that we're different. And I'm not perfect. And I can see everything that I've done clear as day. But Jesus loves me. And he's willing to overlook all of those things. He's willing to overlook all of that sin and all of those wrinkles, all of those defects, because he loves me. And all I got to do is stay faithful and steadfast, standing right next to him, following him in everything. So let's take care, and let's understand, well, we read that verse already, let's understand that we need to be blameless. We need to be blameless, and again, it's not about us, it's not our work, it's not our job, it is absolutely Christ's work, but being blameless is something that we can attain. If you've ever thought that blamelessness is something that, oh man, it's just about being perfect, and I can never be perfect. Well, you're, you're not thinking about blamelessness accurately. You're not thinking about it the way that, that blamelessness really is used throughout the Bible. It's not about being perfect. It's about choosing your influence, being a good influence on this world, and really loving the Lord God and following him. We read at the, at the outset of our lesson, and I want to conclude here in this lesson, how God views us and the, the love and the mercy that he shows toward us because this is really the invitation. I want us all to be blameless, but I want us also to understand the God that we serve. The God that we serve is not holding out our sins in front of us, just slapping us in the face with them all the time, like we do to ourselves sometimes. The God that we serve loves us and is willing to forgive us. And I want to look at Psalm 103 again verse 6, and read down to verse 14. Psalm 103, verse 6, and then the lesson is yours. David says, the, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And amen that he does that. Praise God that he does not. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We see our guilt. Our guilt is always before our eyes, but he does not see it that way. He sees our guilt as all the way over there and us as all the way over there. As far away as they can possibly be, that's how God views our sins. And then, I love this picture in verse 13. As far as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Are you serving that God? Are you serving a God who is so amazing and loving that he can forgive us so completely? If you're not serving that God, if you're not serving our God today, then we invite you to come as we stand and sing. God is-